All right, hey, good morning, everybody. Let's make our way back to our seats this morning. Welcome again to New Life Church. So good to see you guys here. School is officially underway for most. It started last week. For a few, it starts, a few more, it starts this week. So back in the groove of the 10-month calendar with school. So, and we got several he headed out away from home, uh, moving unless we steal their suitcases, then they can't leave, <clears throat> right? <laughs> we might get in trouble for that. But uh, listen, we're, we're going to uh, get into today's word. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and then also Luke chapter 5, Matthew 6 and Luke 5. And the verses will also be on the screen here behind me. You can follow along. We'll be out of the New Living Translation. Let's look at these words. It's, it's in the middle of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the, Matthew records it all, but it was also uh, traditionally known that this was the typical type of messages that Jesus would travel around and preach and teach people. And uh, Luke, uh, excuse me, Matthew captures the whole thing in, in one setting and we're going to look here in Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus' words. He says this, he says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Skip down to verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Let's pray today. Oh God, we are so thankful and humbled by you and your presence. So thankful that you gather us and call us to yourself. So thankful that as we sang earlier, your love, you're not, it, you're, you, are, you are so proud to be with us. You are so proud to call us your own. And I thank you today that you, you do a reset and a work in our hearts, Lord, where we, where we need it. Open our eyes to your word today, and I ask that you would anoint me to speak it well in honoring of you. In Jesus' name, and you can say amen and amen. Listen, over the course of a year, we like to take some time and cover the six core values of our church. We've covered five of them already this year. Today, we're going to cover number six. The deal with these values is these are some values straight out of God's word that help define who we are as a church body. But they also uh, help kind of, um, they help define the kind of life that God calls his followers to live here on this earth. He has an expectation for his people. Sure, we can do whatever we want to do. But at the end of the day, is whatever we're doing is it honoring to the Lord. And last week we heard a message called Holy Ordinary that talked just about that out of Colossians chapter 3. And talking about how when we, whatever we find ourselves doing, whatever it is, may we do it for the Lord. And, and so these values are some things that help define that for us as a church. We, they're kind of like benchmarks and mile markers and guideposts that, that show us these are important to us. And the same as, a, as an individual who follows Christ, there are certain values that come from God's word that we should hold dear to us because they are there to guide and shape our life, that we hold firm to those types of things as we live this life on this earth. We've covered 
kingdom-minded. That's a value of ours. You can also, you can see these in explanation on our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org, if you're fairly new here or just kind of forgot uh, over the course of the last seven months as we've been covering these at different times. Being a kingdom-minded person is a value. Being discipleship-driven, that's an aspect, that's a value of ours. That's the value of God's Word and His kingdom. Uh, being uh, Great Commission-focused is also hugely important to the Lord, and therefore it should be important to us. Uh, being Holy Spirit-filled, living a life filled with God's Spirit in our life. And another one is being next-gen committed, next-generationally committed as a church. That's one of the big things of ours as well, that we try to, we try to model all of these, and we, we, we try to reiterate these at different times. But speaking of the next generation, we, as we mentioned last week, we've got people going back to school, headed off to college, doing different things. Several of you are in the classroom. Several of you are in education so at different levels. And uh, you carry a big load. The student and the teacher, you carry a big load. And we, we vow to commit to pray for you this school year. We vow to commit to keep you covered this school year. And um, uh, as we mentioned, we've got, we've got two people that aren't going to be coming uh, back this year as they leave. They're headed to Oklahoma to Youth America Leadership College. And I know you think, man, we, that's all we talk about are Aaron and Sydney and Elizabeth and whoever else on the stage. <sighs> Maybe, I don't know. But here's the deal. This, I want to do something this, this fall with this seat where Sydney sits. You know, if you know anything about Sydney, um, we're, we're, she pays attention to the Word. Okay, not that anybody else doesn't, okay? Please don't, don't get your panties in a wad, Okay. All right, don't get upset if I don't call you out special, okay? I'm not trying to do that. Here's the deal. I wanna, I'm going to take this seat of Sydney's because if you know anything about Sydney, she gets into the Word of God. And so this year, this fall, we're going to dedicate this seat uh, that Sydney Wise sets in, and we're calling it the Sydney, mm, that's good, Wise chair. <laughs> See, she said, that's good. She said, mm, that's good. She's giving herself a good hand clap. Mm, that's good. But anytime anybody preaches, it's not just me, thankfully, it's others who preach up here. But she, anytime she, there's something revel revelatory that hits home, she's like, mm, that's good. And so, Mama, we're going to, where'd Mama go? She left. She knew we were going to talk about you, and so she, she can't hold the tears back. But um, anyway, we're going we're gonna to deem that seat, the Sydney, mm, that's good, wise chair. And, uh, and anytime you look at that seat, uh, that you'll be thinking about Sydney and others who are off to college pursuing their destiny in the Lord. Amen? All right, now let's, let's move on. Today we're going to cover a value called stewardship guided. Now before you tune me out, I want you to understand stewardship is not all about money. It's not, oh, there's Dave Ramsey, let's go his principles. It's not just money. I'm not even going to be preaching about money today, okay? Stewardship is not just about money. Stewardship is about the, being responsible with the resources of life that God bestows upon us, whatever that might be. Um, it's, it's about making room in our life for what's really important, God's purposes. All right, you with me? Stewardship is about making room in our life for the purposes of God. Stewardship is also about how God calls each of us to be conduits for him. To be people who are willing to let God work in their life and work through their life so that other people's lives can be touched with the kingdom of God. That's the kind of life that he calls us to live. Because he still uses people. He's used people from the beginning. He's using people today. He does not stop using 
people for his plans. And stewardship is seen, it's seen in, in how we use our time. It's seen in how we use our talents. Stewardship is seen in how we uh, use our treasure. It's in all of those different things. How do we, what, what takes up our calendar? What takes up our schedule? What do we give ourselves to day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, and so on and so forth. If you look at your schedule, you look at your life, you can see where you put your energy and your time, and that's what's valuable. That's what is most important. Stewardship is seen in how we do that. Stewardship is seen in how God has given us gifts and given us talents, given us abilities, given us skills, things that we were born with, but things we can also learn through experience and how we're using this life. Stewardship is seen in our treasures, all the natural resources that we have. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? And there's a story here in Luke chapter 5, you can flip over to Luke chapter 5, that I think really hits this well. And Jesus expounds on this notion, this principle of his, of his word about stewardship. And I'm going to preach this message here these next few minutes. I've titled this message, Can God Use My Life? Can God Use My Life? Look at verse 1 of Luke 5. It says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Verse 3, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who is known as Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So Jesus, this is like at the beginning when he is about to choose his followers, his 12, and this is at the beginning of this whole scenario. And, uh, and he, he's got this need. There are these people, this crowd of great people who need to hear what he has to say. And so Jesus is standing there looking around, wondering, what can I use that can help me get them what they need? He sees these two boats, empty boats. And he calls on one. He's like, Simon, right, Peter? He's like, yeah, it's me. He goes, can I, can I borrow your boat for a moment? Yeah, by all means, go for it. And he says, let me push me out just a little ways from the water here. And, and then he uses that boat to preach to the people. All right? Uses that boat to preach to the people. Now, here's the, here's the thing about this story. It's not about the boat. Jesus used a boat to get into the life of Peter. Jesus used stuff to get into the life of these people. Look at verse 4. It says, when, he, when Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Now, go out where it is deeper. Let down your nets to catch some fish. Verse 5, Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. This story takes a turn, and it will begin to realize what this whole thing is about that it was never about a boat, but it was about Peter's life, and it was about the other people's lives. Here's the thing. Jesus is after something far greater than our stuff. He, could, he, he doesn't care if you, whatever you own, whatever you have, and you call it yours, or whether it's in a loan and you're still paying it off. It's yours. He doesn't care. What he does care is does he have your heart? Does he have your heart? Because Jesus has never been after our stuff. Religion has made it about being after stuff. Relationship with Christ has been, make, has been making it about being after our hearts. 
Because here's the deal. If Jesus gets our heart, our stuff will follow. Our time, our talent, and our treasure will follow after God because if God has our heart, then he's not worried about how we use our time, our talent, our treasure, our stuff. He knows we're going to be good stewards of our time, our talent, and our stuff if Jesus really is the king of our hearts. So we don't preach against stuff. We don't preach on stuff. We preach on Jesus and Jesus being the king of our heart because Jesus ain't the king of my recliner. He's not the king of my TV. He's not the king of my car. He's the king of our hearts. And so this story begins to expound and get bigger, and the, and, the, and the eyes are opening to this in this story that it's never about the boat. It's never about the stuff. It's always about the heart. But here's what he does do. Jesus does use stuff to test our hearts because what we get most attached to he says in Matthew 6 that's where our treasure is that's where our heart will be wherever our treasure is that's where our hearts will also be so he uses stuff to test our hearts you following me please don't let the front row out amen the rest of the rows because part of the front row won't be here next week but the rest of you will, hopefully. So Jesus begins to expound and show Peter and the others what he's talking about. He tells Peter, after he finishes using the stuff, the boat, now he's going to test Peter's heart. He tells Peter, hey, go out deeper. Now I want you to go out deeper, Peter. I'm done using your boat for my thing right this moment. Now I want to use your boat to test what's in your heart. So take your boat and go out deeper, Peter. Go out to the places where you're not in control, but you have to be more dependent on me. God does that with us. He tests our hearts by, te by using our stuff, using our time. Will you serve? Will you give of yourself? Will you tithe? Will you give offering? Will you use your talent for the Lord, whether it's recognized or in the spotlight, or behind the scenes, where nobody else notices, but God and God alone. And he says, go out to the deeper places where, 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 where it's maybe a little unfamiliar to you this time, but where you have less control, but you have greater dependency on me. And then he tells him, let down your nets, and you will catch some fish. Saying, hey, Peter, you need to trust me. You need to trust what I tell you. So God does that with us. He tells us to go out in the deeper places of life, in the places in the sense of where we have less control and God has more control, and we have greater dependency on Him, and we have less faith in ourselves, But we have greater faith in Him. And we trust what He tells us. We trust what, he's what He says to do. And Peter then goes on this answer, and he says, Well, Master, here's the deal. We've been fishing all night. We've been working hard all night long, and we didn't catch a thing. I'm tired. I am hangry. I didn't catch anything. I owe my, my partner's money, and we didn't catch anything. I don't have anything to turn in. Red Lobster and Captain D's are wondering where their food is. It's not going to be there. 
and I owe all these people money, and I'm hungry, and I'm tired, and i got a family waiting on me. i got other people around me that are close to me that are dependent on me. He goes, I've worked, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Maybe you're in that place of life. You've worked hard in your nights. You've worked hard in your life. You've been spinning your wheels. You've been trying to make life happen. You've been trying to catch your breath. You almost feel like you, you, you're in fast-forward motion, but you're not going anywhere. You're like on a treadmill. You're out of breath, your heart rate's up, and all that kind of stuff. But you look back and you haven't moved an inch. Because you've been working hard all night long your way. And what Jesus is after Peter and what he's getting to us today is, Look, I know you worked hard all night long, dude. I know you were out there. I get it. I see you sweating and laboring and doing all of what you're doing. I see how you're spinning your wheels. I see how you're knocking on doors. I see how you're trying to make your life go your way. But here's the thing about Jesus. He's not ruthless. He's compassionate. He was really only ruthless with real religious people. People who thought they had it all together. People who thought they had all the answers. People who thought they knew what was right for somebody else, but they couldn't follow themselves. He was only ruthless with people like that. But people who recognized... I come up short. People who recognize I don't have it all together. People who weren't trying to play the game. They were just trying to get in it. Just trying to do it. And he's like, I know what you've been after all night long. You see, the God, we, this is the same God who knows our tomorrows, but he is also aware of our yesterdays. He's like, I know what you did last night. <laughs> he knows what we did last night. And by what I mean last night, I don't mean just last night. I'm talking about in our life. He knows where we have been. But he's compassionate in his pursuit for us and saying, look, now you need to trust me to do it my way and stop doing life your way. You think I'm after your money? You think I'm after your stuff? You think I'm after your gift? Please. I'm after your heart. I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. I know what you make. I know what you can produce. I put the potential in your life. He said, but you've got to stop trying to make it happen your way and stop wrestling me and just be, do it my way. He says, I'm after your heart. But I love it. Peter says, oh, well, if you say so, if you say so, you got to catch that. Lord, if you say so, I'll do it. If the Lord says so, then our answer should be, I'll do it. Okay, you, get, you got me. I'm busted. You know what I've been about. You know where I've been spinning my wheels. You know where I, I've been a little out of control. You know where I've been trying to just get by and make, it th make things happen my way. But now you're telling me to do it this way. Even though it looks kind of familiar, but yet it's unfamiliar. Because now I'm not the one calling the shots. If you say so. If you say so. If you say so, I'll do it. And so this whole story for Peter and his whole life and his friends flips. And we'll begin to see that in essence what Peter is now going to do is Lord.
I'm going to give myself to you. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what my future is all like. I kind of have ideas. I kind of have some thoughts. You know, you ever, you ever been to, those, in, to some restaurants or maybe some coloring books? And um, if you admit you look at coloring books. Um, but it's the connect the dots. And you, just looking at the dots, they may have 35 dots. And they're all which way. And you just look at the dots. You're like, I don't know what that is. And then what are you supposed to do with the dots? Connect the dots starting at one and follow the instructions that were given to you. And then by the time you get to the last one, you see the shape that it was intended to make. There's a shape there all along in your life, but you've got to connect the dots. You've got to follow God's plan. And then as you follow it, step by step, I heard somebody pray this morning, little by little, he'll begin to unfold his picture, his plan for your life. But what do most people try to do? God, just show me it. Just show me what you want. Just show me what you want me to do. Just show me what you have for me. And he does not do that. Here's the thing. There's many reasons he doesn't do that. One, he doesn't do that is because it would just freak you out. If he showed you the big picture from the beginning of what you had to go through in order for that big picture to unfold. In other times, if we saw that big picture, we may not commit. And then we may not want to actually have to go through. Someone prayed this this morning, prayer the process. Have to go through a process. Process. But we go through process because what happens in process is development. And it's the development of Christ in us becoming greater in us, and we becoming less. Peter, as you know, you know the story, if you go ahead and you jump to Acts, Peter preaches the first message in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when God pours his spirit out and 3,000 people get saved. But you back up a few days before that, and it's Peter who denies the Lord three times. You back up before that, and it's Peter who's like, Lord, we'll follow you wherever you go. And you back up before that, and you have all these conversations that he and his other friends have with the Lord, and you find him here on this boat. You see, the Lord can use anything. He can use anything. But what he wants, he wants to use you. It was not about the boat. It was about his life. It's not about our stuff, people. It's about our heart. Does he have our heart? If he gets our heart, he can use our life. And then the rest of the story begins to unfold, and it shares, and I'm just quickly going to go through these, these six benefits, these six benefits of us stewarding our life for God. The six benefits that this story shows of us stewarding our life for the Lord and not ourselves. You guys care about those? Anybody want to know what those are? A couple people do. I'll talk to you. Verse 6. It says, In this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. The first benefit that happens in a life that stewards itself for the Lord 
not mean you're perfect in it. This means your trajectory and your direction is in the way of God, always in the way of the Lord. We get blessed. Now, the thing about that statement is the Christian world has so Christianized it, Christianized it, and overdone it, it becomes a cliche. Hashtag, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Hashtag, I'm blessed and highly favored. Hashtag. Right? And, and I'm not discounting anybody's sincerity in saying it. It's just the thing is, it doesn't stop there. It just begins there. We do get blessed. When we dedicate our life to the Lord and we steward our life for what He wants for us, He does bless us. He blesses us, one, because He loves us. He blesses us because He also is the one who meets our needs. He meets our needs. The clothes on your back, the house you're in, the car you drive, the job you have, whether you like it or not, the food you eat, whatever you call it, the friends in your life, you name it. He blesses us to meet our needs, but it starts there, it doesn't end there. Because carry on, verse 7, says, a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. What two boats? Remember at the beginning of the story, it said Jesus saw two empty boats. He used Peter's to preach in. Then he tells Peter to go out into the deep and you'll catch your fish. And caught so much, started to sink his boat. He called for help to his other friends, his partners, and their boat began to sink because they caught so much. So not only does God bless us when we steward our life for him, but he uses us to bless other people. And you might have heard that hashtag, blessed to be a blessing. But you got to understand where it comes from. It's not just some coin. It's just not some phrase. It's just not some little thing. But it's reality of how God expects our life to be conduits for him. He blesses us and then we also then in turn get to bless other people. Bless them with your time. Bless them with your gifts that you have been given. Yeah, even bless them with your treasure. You remember the end of June, uh, the last Sunday of June, we had a missionary pastor from India, Cuckoo Matthews. How many of you were here for that? Quite a few of you. You remember him? I mean, it was a very good message on grace. Well, we, as a church, we took a love offering up for his ministry and uh, took him out to lunch afterwards. And he came up to him as we were getting in the parking lot at the restaurant. And he's like, Pastor Jeremy, wow. I was like, what? Your church blessed me with more money from your church than I get in all the churches in the state of Tennessee at once. This church gave more to him in one offering than all the churches combined that he goes to in Tennessee. And it's more than one other church that he goes to, just to be fair, okay? Not ballooning the numbers. But I thought that, that made my heart proud that our church in the middle of the summer could do that. We got to bless someone else. Now, truth be told, our church blesses throughout the entire year of different places. Tomorrow night, we're going to be blessing the ministry at RIFA. It's your chance to bless somebody else. It's your chance to bless somebody else. So we get blessed, but we also get to bless others. Amen? God meets our needs, but then he uses us to help other people out. 
Then in verse 8, Peter realized what happened. He fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, Oh, Lord, unless you're in the South, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. I am too much of a sinner. Not a, we get blessed, we get to bless others, but we get humbled as we steward our life for God because we realize and we understand we don't deserve what we have. It was not our goodness that drew us to Christ. It was not our goodness that caused God to love us. It was not our goodness that caused Jesus to die on the cross. And it was not, no, it was his goodness. And so as God blesses us and we steward our life for him, we get humbled. And we should try to live that way, amen? We should try to live that way. Number four, verse nine. Peter was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. Peter was awestruck. He was amazed. As we steward our life for God, we get amazed at his supernatural provision in our life. Because here's the thing there are sometimes the way God provides certain things in our life, they don't make sense. It's not worldly, earthly math. It's heavenly math, and it doesn't add up. I cannot begin to tell you the amount of times the way God provides for me or my family and whatever need we may have at a time, and it does not come through what I would just call normal ways. It's crazy. That's the part of go deep and let down your nets. Go deep and let down your nets. For some of us, that's a scary place because we like to control everything in our life. We like to be in control of all the contingencies and get, I, I tr trust me, I understand that. That's, my, that's me. I was born with a blessed, cursed gift of organization and planning. I'm like, God, you called me to the wrong thing. You called me to ministry, which is totally unpredictable. And you never feel adequately prepared. And he's like, that's just where I want you, son. <laughs> but we get amazed at the supernatural provisions of God. They don't make sense. But when it happens to you, when that crazy way of God coming through happens to you, you can be wearing James' shirt that says, yay, God. And you're going to be like, that's where that but God statement comes from in the Bible. I don't deserve it. I don't get it. But God. Verse 5, or excuse me, number 5, verse 10a says, His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were also amazed. Here's the deal. I'm almost done. I only have six. I got one more to go, and I'm done. You guys with me? I want to finish this strong. Can I do that? All right. We get blessed. We get to bless others. We get humble. We get amazed at the way God provides. But here's, the, here's another one. We get to watch others be amazed at how God provides. That is pretty neat. When you watch other people get amazed at how God does that for you or your life or your family. 
or whatever it might be. We were on, we went on vacation a couple years ago to Florida to a resort we had been before and that someone else had taken us there and we, we went back and um, we, we signed up to go under that, um, you know, that timeshare spiel they, they have, some resorts have. And we're like, okay, we'll do that. We'll get a cheaper trip. We just got to give an hour and do that. Yeah, it's not an hour. <laughs> it's more like two and a half hours. Anyway, we go through the whole spiel, get to the end, about to be done. They're trying to get us to sign on the dotted line. And we're like, nope, 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 not going to do it. No, we just came for the free night you gave us. That's what my wife said. We just came for the $100 bill you're going to give us at the end and the free night. And they're like, don't you like vacation? Heck yeah, we're here, right? We love vacation. Do you, would you go on vacation every year if you, if you could? We're like, yep, absolutely, if we could. How do you do vacation? We pray. We plan. We try to have some things set aside. But then we also, we, tell, we told this man who's in the business of making money, we live by faith sir i don't know how else to put it to you but when we feel like we need to go somewhere we tell the lord we need to go somewhere and if it's up to you to make it happen would you just you'll make it happen and things will come together and he was mad because we didn't sign but we were glad because we got a hundred bucks and a free night (laughs) but it's it's so cool we told the dude look man we're here because god provides i'm not making this stuff up And it's hard sometimes for people to understand that God will do some crazy stuff to get his thing across. But he is in that business of doing crazy stuff because he wants our hearts. And lastly, that's exactly what he's after. Verse 10b tells Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And it says, as soon as their boat landed, they left everything their business, their family, their home. They left everything and followed Jesus. When we commit to steward our life for the Lord and live God's way and live for Him, the ultimate goal of Him is He gets our heart. Jesus gets our heart. Stuff will not own our hearts, but Jesus will own our hearts. And he tells him, you're going to fish for people. In other words, Peter, your life will make more sense to you. You'll have a far greater impact when you just decide to live for me and not live for yourself. And when you break it down like that, and when you look at the story that way, then it takes a lot of things out of the equation and it puts our heart out there. God, I give you my heart. God, I give you my life. As he tells us in the opening scripture in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Friends, stewardship is more than money. When you hear the word steward or stewardship, Hopefully you begin to think, if you haven't already, it's not all about money. It's about a way of life. And as a church body, we hold dear to that value, to be stewardship guided, meaning everything we are and all that we have belongs to God. 
And as that happens, our life will have more sense and it will have a greater impact on this planet because we're not living for me, we're living for him. Amen. We stand to our feet. Brandon's going to go through this part of this song. It's called, We Fall Down, We Lay Our Crowns. We sang a little bit of it earlier. We're going to end with this song. Then we're going to pray after this. But as we, as we go through this song, maybe you're here and you feel like, well, doesn't have my heart. God really doesn't have my heart. I, I've been trying to give him stuff and it's not stuff he's after. It's a, he's after me. He loves me. And as you sing this song, let this song permeate in your, in your heart today. That whatever it is that you hold more dear to than, than to the Lord, we can all be guilty of this at different times with different things. Decide to lay it down at the feet of Jesus and let him love you and receive you and fill your life and make a commitment. I'm not going to live for me. God, as much as possible, I'm going to live for you. Amen.